This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy Woo! and sadness oh. and anger. Ah! Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. Ah! But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. Ah. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Hello and welcome everyone to Trashy Divorces, everyone's favorite good podcast about bad relationships. My name is Alicia and Stacy. You've got the giant of late night for us today. I do. Not only is David Letterman a giant of late night, he's also, it would appear, been kind of a giant dirtbag to the women in his life for, you know, most of it. On the plus side, one of his exes, who is an Emmy award-winning comedy writer herself, gets in a few excellent zings here and there. Love it. Before we get into Dave's top 10 trashiest moments, then... Let's take a quick look into our magic mirror here and thank our newest Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash trashy divorces, enjoying early ad-free episodes, bonus divorces, Zoom salons, and much, much more. Thank you so much to Kai and KM for joining us at Patreon. Holy cats, simply the best, all of y'all and you for coming back for this no-tell-lover kind of episode of Trashy Divorces. Stacy, I think it is high time that we go, go, go. Oh, Stacy, I'm excited about this one. I have clearly missed the David Letterman trashy radar scoop. I'm excited. There were parts of the story I had completely forgotten about as well. Alicia, David Letterman's brand of humor and wit was different from what many American audiences were used to when he burst onto the scene. Millions loved his comedic style, but, you know, it wasn't for everybody. He was often criticized for being cold and sometimes caustic, but in any case, he entertained audiences for more than 30 years. He continues to. He's kept his personal life very private for most of his career, often coming off as something of an enigma. He has a Midwestern stoicism and seems to be most comfortable mocking the world and the people around him. He's quick, he's quirky, and he's great at improvisational conversations with guests. No one reaches the pinnacle of a career like his, though, without a great deal of effort and energy. And the amount of time and effort that he put into professional success certainly caused a lot of problems in his personal life, although also some of his personal Peccadillo's may have also contributed. He's the longest-running late-night broadcaster in American history, and he's the winner of many awards and is also a Kennedy Center honoree. All impressive. He seems to have taken some time to get to know himself and understand better how he operates in relationships, but this did not come easily for him. Now, at the tender age of 76, he seems to have finally figured out kind of who he is and what he wants to be. Should he ever decide to grow up? Better late than never. David Letterman was born on April 12th, 1947. So an Aries? Yes, Aries man. Sparky, sparky in Broad Ripple, Indiana. It's a suburb of Indianapolis. He was the middle child of Harry and Dorothy Letterman. There was an older sister and a younger sister. So a lot of girls in that household. His parents were children of the Depression. 
That, of course, had a great influence on their personalities and their behaviors. Dorothy, for instance, was cold, somewhat harsh, and withholding of her approval. Oh, no. Yes. Dave remembers the family watching the Ed Sullivan show, and his mom got really irritated when Ed Sullivan asked the audience to applaud for a musical act before they performed. You know, like, now, welcome to the stage, blah, blah, blah. Apparently, her take was that you should only get applause based on merit. Oh. So any any kind of pre-applause was not yet earned. She's a dream crusher. She's a dream crusher. Yikes. They've got, she is now part of his career, like, his shtick. Yes, they've they've worked it out. But well, I'm glad for that. But wow, that's a that's a tough mom. Tough mom. His dad Harry was good natured and outgoing and had a great sense of humor. Dave and his father shared a sense of humor. They bonded over it. He discovered that he and his father kind of had this similar sense of humor when he was about six, and they both laughed and got the like low key deadpan comedy routines listening to the radio, listening to to comedians on the radio back in the pre-TV era. Unfortunately, Harry was also an alcoholic who was clearly frustrated by his position in life. Oh, no. So it sounds like everything was good and stable and predictable until Dave was about 12 years old. So that year, a couple of things happened. Up to that point, Harry, the, the dad, had been a partner at a local flower shop that had done very well. But then Harry had a major heart attack, and his business partner decided to sell his share of the store while Harry was recovering. Oh, that's dirty. Harry couldn't afford to buy him out because he had large medical bills. So Dave says of that time, from that point on, everything started to go away. It was awful. What bouquet do you send someone to say, you ruined my life? Yeah. Wow, that's terrible. Harry's disappointments in life had a big impact on young Dave. He remembers that his dad actually seemed happiest and most at ease when he was hosting a meeting at the Indiana Flower Association or emceeing a church potluck dinner, anything where he could be in front of people performing and telling jokes. This obviously made an impact. Dave would tell a biographer, he loved doing that more than his actual job. My dad's life did not work out the way he wanted it to. On Mark Maron's WTF podcast, he said, My father could have easily done what I have done, and I wish he had. Oh. So when Dave was 12, his father let him have a sip of scotch and soda at a Christmas party, and uh, he would tell Howard Stern that after that, he continued drinking. He would sneak the whiskey that his parents kept under the sink, like after everybody went to bed. And by the time he was in high school, he was getting drunk regularly. Dave had jobs when he was young. He bagged groceries throughout high school. He went to Ball State University for college, and I don't know how that's not just a, an entire catalog of jokes in the David Letterman oeuvre. Maybe it is. I, I'm not a scholar of David Letterman. He was a radio DJ during his college years, and he would get in trouble and sometimes fired from stations for refusing to follow the rules or for playing pranks on the wrong people at work. He also was continuing to drink, I'm sure that I was about helped. to say, that couldn't have been a overall positive contribution to job stability. Yeah. He pledged Sigma Chi uh-uh. in college, but okay. said it was mostly an excuse to drink as much beer as possible. He was very reserved socially, and he was reluctant to let anyone really get to know him. One of his fraternity brothers would later say, Dave didn't let people close to him. I asked him about it, and he said if they got to know me, they wouldn't like me. Listen, don't be upset if I don't go to the parties. Oh, well, that's kind of sad. Mm-hmm. Kind of relatable, though. I felt that way, you know, at a certain 
when you were younger? Yeah, when I was when I was a young person. If you got to know me, you wouldn't like me. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people feel that way at times. I think this is kind of foundational to Letterman. I think there's a real loathing, self-loathing. So dream crusher mom, alcoholic dad, packed with self-loathing. This story is going to go it's good. awesome. It's really good. So let's talk about the first time that David Letterman got married. It was the summer of 1968. Oh. And Dave had been dating his college sweetheart, Michelle Cook, for quite some time. She decided that it was time for them to get married. So she told him that either he married her or she was going to move on with her life without him. Okay, fair. Very straightforward, Midwestern. She had just graduated. She was a year ahead of him. And Dave was finishing up his last year of college while working as a weekend weatherman at a local television station. Sounds right. He panicked when she gave him this ultimatum. He would say later, I could not lose her. That horrified me. Unfortunately, the other thing that horrified Dave was the idea of telling his parents that he was going to marry Michelle. He would say they didn't like her, but they didn't really know her. So. What happened? Oh, my God. He tried to find a solution that would make both Michelle and his parents happy. So he decided to get married and not tell his parents. (gasps) Secret wedding? Secret wedding. Bingo. Secret wedding. So Michelle's roommate drove the couple to a house not that far from campus. Dave, of course, had been drinking heavily prior to being picked up. And when they arrived, a justice of the peace answered the door. Dave introduced himself with a joke. Boy, am I glad to see you. These broads picked me up out here on Highway 36. We started talking and the next thing I know, they say, hey, you're kind of cute. Let's go get married. Hell, I've never seen these broads before in my life. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, the Justice of the Peace did not even smile at this, saying, (laughs) are you David Letterman? He said yes. And then the JP, the Justice of the Peace, looks at the two women and says, which one of you is Michelle Cook? David continued with his jokes, Mm -mm. definitely warming things up. When the Justice asked if either had been married before... Dave helpfully replied, six times. Oh. Oh. The drunk groom, aged probably 21. After the wedding, Michelle stayed in Muncie, Indiana, and Dave lived with his parents for the summer because he was working at a local television station back home. He promised Michelle that he would tell his parents. uh, and (laughs) This is all terrible. And that he would then find the two of them a place to live for the following semester. Oh, sure. Michelle, as you would, is, you know, calling Dave, and she did not hear from him for an entire month. Wow, secret wife. Mm -hmm. She finally drives to his house, I guess knocks on the door, and uh, parents open. There's Harry and Dorothy. Yeah, and they have no idea. They have no idea. (sighs) Holy cats. Their son is married and that she is their daughter-in-law. Dave would tell his biographer, I lived in terror that my parents would find out. You can't keep things like that hushed up. No, Dave, you no, can't. you can't. So one night he arrives home to find oh, that Michelle God. has arrived there and has told his parents that they are married. His mother assumed that she must be pregnant. Sure. Um, she was not. Dave would say, I walked right into a shitstorm. My parents, <laughs> I bet. My parents, of your own making, Of your my own dude. making. My parents were horrified and depressed. They were angry. Why and how and what was going to happen and on and on. They were really hurt, deeply hurt, and they had every right to be. Well, Dave does eventually graduate, married Dave, and he and Michelle moved into his hometown and like a few blocks away from his family. 
Michelle worked as a buyer at a department store, and Dave worked at a television station as the weekend weatherman. And he, you know, made a lot of ripples because he was a funny guy, as we all know. He was very informal on the air, and he would ad-lib jokes. It just, it really worked. He was a great television personality. So, huzzah, the full-time weatherman position opens up, and Dave is very excited to go and apply for that and audition for that, and he did not get the job. Oh, no. It rained on his parade. Ah, look at that. So this sort of got him thinking more about Hollywood. Clearly, like, television was something he was enjoying. Audiences liked him. But is the weatherman what he wanted to do with his life? I I don't know. He's going to be a big, big star. So he remembers watching Carson when Carson was doing the Karnak the Magnificent routine. So Ed McMahon would set up jokes and then uh, Carson would do the punchline. And Dave would sit there making up different punchlines. (laughs) <laughs> to like this was kind of yeah he was sort of working on uh, a bit of his own work he was not yet ready to make the leap to hollywood so he went to work at a radio station like he'd done for a lot of his college career again becoming very popular for dry humor quick wit his father's drinking had become a serious problem and at one point his mother actually told him that she was going to divorce his father oh wow mm-hmm She thought it over and instead decided to call AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. Harry agreed to give it a try. He quit drinking. He started hosting meetings. Oh, wow. Solid move, Mom. Yeah, yeah. Well, and Dave says he wanted me to come to one of the meetings. I did, and by God, he had taken over. He would write jokes. It was like the Friars Club. (laughs) He just liked being the center of attention. Dave was stunned at how much his father thrived in that situation and how much he loved telling jokes to his audience. But soon after that meeting that his father had invited him to, Harry had another heart attack. Oh, no. And this one was fatal. Mm. Dave says, I just felt like he never quite got to do what he wanted to do. So that was a very strong observation for me. I really wanted to make good on my personal commitment because I know it was probably the same as my father's personal commitment but he just never had the opportunity or the pathway to fulfill it. Michelle was just a huge cheerleader for Dave to pursue comedy. She had long encouraged him to move to Hollywood. And until his dad died, Dave really just hadn't felt like he could. It didn't help that his mother, Dorothy, was a bit of a soul crusher. She was super skeptical. She did not think that comedy was a real job. Well, I mean, (laughs) a lot of moms don't. Yeah, so, you know, Michelle, though, was there and, and really counterpoint. I think he just opted to listen to Michelle. And he would say later, I don't know if I could have done it without her of moving to Los Angeles. So let's take a break right here. And when we come back, we are going to watch David Letterman burn his marriage down in Hollywood. It's what we live for here on Trashy Divorces. See you on the flip. Hey, Trash Pandas, when you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption? All in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns, 
Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project, an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It took Dave less than two weeks after arriving in Los Angeles to go to the comedy store. And soon afterwards, he was on the stage regularly. You know, I have to mention the comedy store is the same location, the former Ciro's. Where so much of old Hollywood has happened. I love the spiderwebs that happen in this show. Well, in this incarnation, as the comedy store, this was the place that you wanted to perform if you were trying to make it as a comedian in the 70s. Mm -hmm. Bookers went, talent scouts went, and it was the best place to network and collaborate with other aspiring writers and comedians. Dave told Mark Maron, the comedy store was completely exciting and completely different from anything culturally or socially I had been part of in Indiana. Dave's style of stand-up stood out from everybody else in that milieu. He was relaxed and he was charming, whereas others tended to be very jittery or high energy or just anxious and amateur. You think it could have been the drugs of the 70s? I was going to suggest (laughs) that cocaine may have played a role for a lot of people. But Dave would be up there. He'd, you know, tell a joke and then, like, crack his neck. Or maybe he'd whistle, you know, like just whistle a little song for a second. Like just very toned down, low key and very funny. As good as the comedy store was for young comedians, it unfortunately did not pay its performers. Michelle was supporting the couple financially. She was working at a department store. And Dave, of course, had this traditional Midwestern upbringing. So it grated on him that Michelle was the breadwinner for the family He would say, my wife was working while I was on the playground shooting baskets, feeling like a bum. Mm. Eventually, he did land a job with a steady income writing jokes for Jimmy Walker. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, he had broken out on good times. And Jimmy had hired a couple other aspiring comics to help him write jokes. (sighs) Like you. You may have heard of one Jay Leno and one Elaine Boozler. Wow. I know, this is really quite the, the milieu. Hey, Alicia, what do you think happened when you've got... 20-somethings teaching themselves to be performers by staying out in comedy clubs until the wee hours and drinking too much. Probably drugs mixed in there, too. That's right. They hook up. Oh, no. And Dave, regardless of things with Michelle, who had a steady job, was no exception. Dave cheated on Michelle regularly and had quite the reputation as a ladies' man in the stand-up scene during the 70s. Yikes. In addition to that, Dave's drinking was isolating the couple from, you know, like the friends Michelle was able to make in Los Angeles. Steve O'Donnell, one of his more significant writers during his late night career, would say of Dave, he said that his first wife, Michelle, was constantly complaining they lost every friend they had because Dave would drink and start making jokes about what's wrong with them. No, you can't do that. 
But he I mean, did. not on the regular. You yeah. Can't... Super isolating. Wow. Super terrible. Hal Gurney, Dave's longtime director, said that he felt that Dave didn't want the kind of lifestyle that he and Michelle had both grown up with. Alienating your circle of friends is a pretty good way to do that. Yeah. Dave told him that he couldn't stand that Michelle ironed and folded his underwear and socks. Oh, wow. That's a level of commitment. So, yeah, Hal says it would be so middle class. It would be like people you'd expect to work in an insurance agency. (laughs) He wanted to be a comic. Comics don't have their underwear ironed. Fair point. Yes. So it is important to note that Dave was still drinking quite heavily at this time, and this inevitably contributed to plenty of bad behavior and the dissolution of his marriage. It wasn't until he was 34 that he would finally stop drinking. He'd been told for years when he went to get his annual physical that his liver was swollen, and that's a pretty young age to... Well, if you had been drinking since you were, what, 12? 12, I guess that's a good point. Yeah, that's 22 years of... Nipping scotch under the sink and then just moving it to the comedy club. Yeah. And so it really, he quit drinking because he was afraid it would hurt his career. Not to save his marriage, right? Not to save his liver. (laughs) Not to save his liver and not to save his marriage. Like his priorities were clearly what they were. So yeah, once he got back on television, uh, he did not want to screw that up. Michelle and Dave divorced in 1978. Uh, Ultimately, Dave took responsibility for this, saying, I went a little nuts and misbehaved and it came apart, but I think it's my own doing or my own undoing. In 2010, Vanity Fair quoted him saying, for what I put her through, I should burn in hell for the rest of my life. It was just me being a dork. Hey, young girls. Well, at least he has some self-reflection and awareness now. Perhaps. Now, yes, as we shall see. Sorry, Michelle. You didn't deserve that, sweetie. Just wait. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't particularly improve. Doesn't The story doesn't get better. No. So the next woman who would have a significant impact on Dave, both personally and professionally, was comedy writer Meryl Marco. These two were together for about a decade, and Meryl was his major collaborator when he was establishing his career in Late Night. The two met at the comedy store in 1978. They both claimed that they were only friends until Dave split with Michelle. Sure. But Meryl also tells the story of going with him to Michelle's house to pick things up. So clearly... Whoa. (laughs) Meryl said that when she first saw him, he was not her type. Her last boyfriend had been a very artsy kind of guy. Dave was dressed casually in sneakers, and he seemed like a frat guy, which he had been. She recalled the first time she talked to Letterman saying, he was the kind of person I would have never been friends with, but he was cute. Meryl was sophisticated and extremely intelligent. She didn't have time for jokes that she felt were silly or unworthy of her talent. She disliked most comedy on television during this period, but when SNL premiered, she finally found something she did like, saying, it was the first show I saw that made fun of TV as a form. Before that, TV really didn't see itself. Dave himself had a very different impression of Meryl from the one Meryl had of Dave. Oh, yeah? He says, she looked... The term used to be preppy. I was very attracted to her. She looked like she was from the East Coast, and her jokes were very heady, much smarter than what you thought you were getting at open mic night. When they met, Meryl was writing a pilot, and she had gone to the Rollins Joffe office to pitch the idea. At the meeting, the agent she was talking to told her that one of his clients, 
a guy named David Letterman, had just said nice things about her. Merrill asked, uh, you know, I, I know Dave. What did Dave say? Yeah. And the agent said that he thought you were sort of special. Oh, well, that's nice. So after this meeting, she calls the comedy store to find out when Dave will be doing his set that night. It was, of course, 1220 a.m. Oh, no. Yeah, one of those. So she goes there for his 1220 in the morning set. And after, you know, it went well. He appears next to her and they sat together. They did not talk because Robin Williams was on stage telling his jokes. Wow. Can you believe it, though? That means he had the 1230 slot. Like, it's so weird. Uh, neither of them wanted to seem interested in the other. They were both trying to play Plain it cool, it. Yeah. but it didn't take him long to ask her on a date. They quickly became involved romantically, but perhaps even more significantly, they became professional allies, and this will just propel his career dramatically. Merrill also had always been adamantly opposed to getting married or to having children. Perfect for Dave. Newly divorced Dave was like, heck yeah, I am in no hurry to walk down that aisle again. So Did you hear? I didn't even tell my parents about the first one. (laughs) Dave's agents soon were telling him that he had way more potential to work in television than in stand-up. Merrill would help him with pitches for shows and they would write pilots together. And she also wrote jokes for a stand-up act while he was still trying to break into television. Dave would say she was a great education for me. What kind of education did you give her, Dave? Mm, mm, We'll see. So, as mentioned earlier, Dave had established himself as something of a heartthrob at the comedy store. Many people did not understand his attraction to Merrill. Sandra Bernhard said of Merrill, her writing was, yeah. The story. Has everyone. Her writing was smart and original, but it was like, that's who Letterman is dating? She was kind of androgynous, a guy's girl, which maybe that's what he liked about her. Meryl got a job. This is, oh my God, this is really, this anecdote is so, so David Letterman. So Meryl gets a job writing on Mary Tyler Moore's variety show, Mary. When Meryl walks into the writer's room, looking around, she notices that David Letterman is on the list of cast members. These two were spending every night together, and he had not mentioned... (gasps) You were joking. I'm not. He had not mentioned that he was working on the same show that she would be working on. She would later say that this was a, quote, portent of many things to come. Oh, there's always a portent. This is a guy who just keeps his trap shut. As we all know, Dave did make it to television. He appeared on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson 22 times and then began guest hosting for The Legend. In 1982, Late Night with David Letterman debuted, and this, of course, made him a national figure, household name. He and Merrill were still together, and he made her the head writer on the show. She was the first head writer. Oh, wow. Okay. It was Merrill who originated classic bits like Stupid Pet Tricks. Aw, Stupid Pet Tricks. Stupid Human Tricks. Yeah. Viewer male. She was also responsible for a lot of, like, just the silliness. And, you know, there were, like, unscripted remotes. He he went to a store one time called Just Bulbs. And he would just, like, interview the employees. So what do you sell here at Just Bulbs? <laughs> In the course of her career on Dave's Late Night Shows, Meryl was nominated for six Emmys and oh, won, wow. won three. In 2020, she was the recipient of the Writers Guild of America's 
Patty Shayefsky Laurel Award for Television Writing Achievement. It's the highest award given for television writing. Well, good on Meryl. They were together for most of the 80s. They worked and lived together. She told the New York Times in 2009, I can remember a few times following him into the bathroom post-rehearsal pre-show while he showered and got ready. I stood there reading him lists of jokes or rewritten ideas for things to do on the show. Then she added, I guess over the years, there has been an assortment of other women who continue to have that sort of access to him. But from what I read, it doesn't appear that their duties include reading him joke rewrites. Interesting. Mm -hmm. In 1986, Meryl and Dave were still together. This did not stop him from beginning a relationship with a new production assistant. No. Regina Lasco, who came to work on the show. They quickly fell in love. Of course they did. It would be two more years before Meryl found out about this relationship. Meryl explains how she learned about Regina, saying, I, ahem, intercepted some letters that came to the house and became aware of a lot of other stuff as well. That is some secret keeping. Yeah, soon thereafter, Meryl changed her phone number. She drew a cartoon of a talk show host sitting at his desk with a big slash through it (laughs) and put that on her front door. So soon after that, Regina would leave his show to work for Saturday Night Live. The two of them stayed a couple. Meryl, meanwhile, departed for the warmer climes of California to continue as a comedy writer. Good on her. In 2008, Dave told Rolling Stone about the end of his relationship with Meryl, saying, I did not behave well at the end of that relationship. It seems like I've heard that line before. Are you going to rot in hell for ruining Meryl, too? Come on, Dave. Happily did not ruin Meryl. Randy Cohen, a longtime writer on the show, said, When Meryl left the show, the show, in my view, really suffered. She brought him along in a certain way where he saw, even if they weren't his favorite pieces, he saw the value of doing them. No one else could be as unrelenting. One of her many fine qualities, if it were a piece she enjoyed, she would fight for it. Years after their breakup, an interviewer would ask Dave about Meryl's impact on the show. And he replied simply, without her, you and I would not be sitting here. That's right. I'm glad you get that, Dave. We're going to take one more quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about David Letterman's weird stalker situation, which I had completely forgotten about. Do you remember this? I missed all of it. Okay. Back in a minute. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mm -hmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... 
That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Stalker situation? Yeah, from the late 80s to the late 90s, close to a decade, Dave was the subject of obsession by a disturbed woman named Margaret Mary Ray, who relentlessly stalked and pursued him. So she believed that she was romantically involved with him. I do kind of remember and this. And she repeatedly broke into his house. She would camp yeah. out on his tennis court. She stole his Porsche one time. No! She was repeatedly arrested for this behavior, as one would expect. But she would identify herself as Dave's wife and tell people that her son's name was David Letterman Jr. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, this was such like a, like a New York story in some ways very strange time the 80s and early 90s she once told reporters that she left cookies and an empty bottle of jack daniel's whiskey in the foyer of dave's house during one of her visits visits is in quotation marks wow the world obviously was fairly naive at this time still about the dangers that stalking poses to celebrities So it was sort of treated as a less serious matter than it could have been. She was frequently on tabloid magazines, and she was the subject of late-night jokes, including some from Dave himself. He never said her name on the air, but it was a public spectacle. One such joke was including her in one of his top ten lists. Oh, no. His famous top ten lists. In his top ten things I have to do before I leave NBC... Number one was send change of address forms to that woman who keeps breaking into my house. Sounds like the number. Did you ever notice on the top 10 list that number two was always funnier than number one? I don't know if I specifically noticed Go that. Go back and watch any top 10 list from David Letterman. I'm sure there are YouTube compendiums of them. Number two is always the punchline, never number one. Interesting. Margaret Mary Ray would spend over 34 months in jail and in psychiatric hospitals for stalking Dave. She was diagnosed with schizophrenia during one of those stints, but like as soon as she was released, she would stop taking her antipsychotic medications. It just turned into this cycle. She didn't like how the drugs made her feel. She didn't think she needed them. Dave was not her only victim. She oh, was no. also obsessed, this is so weird, with astronaut Story Musgrave. She harassed him for four years with phone calls, letters, and sending him unwanted packages. She once went to his home and turned on all the outdoor faucets. Why? Well, when she was arrested, she told police, I love him and want to spend the rest of my life with him. Which is why I'm just going to waste his water in the drought? And poor poor Dave. (laughs) No, this I don't mean to make light. Because Margaret Mary Ray met a deeply tragic end. On October 5th, 1998, she wrote out a suicide note that read, I'm all traveled out. I chose a painless and instantaneous way to end my life in the valley I loved. She then knelt down on the tracks of the Denver and Rio Grande Western Railroad in front of an oncoming train and was killed instantly. Dave released a statement saying, this is a sad ending to a confused life. That's tragic. Okay, so let's get back. The, the trashy. The woman who would become his second, who will become his second wife. And Regina. Final wife, yes. Okay, so Meryl's out, Regina's in. Meryl's out, but she's not done snarking. Oh, no. We'll get to it. 
Although Dave and Regina were together for many years, they were very purposeful about staying out of the spotlight. They were rarely seen in public. He really has just been such a closed book when it comes to his personal life. In fact, Dave stayed away from any talk about his personal life whenever he could. The closest anyone got to him, including anything personal on his show, was when his mother, Dorothy, Dream Crusher, made appearances. (laughs) Dream Crusher no more made appearances on his show, and she became an unlikely celebrity in the 90s. She went to Lilyhammer to cover the Winter Olympics in 1994 for... I vaguely remember this, ...the late yes. show, and she also wrote a book, a cookbook, called Home Cooking with Dave's Mom. Aww. But when it came to his love life, silence. Absolute silence. A long-time Letterman observer said that they believe that Dave's inherent self-loathing and lack of confidence informs the women he chooses and the way he conducts himself. By his own admission, Dave is insecure, guilt-ridden, and self-pitying, like you would expect from a Midwestern boy. That is quite a description. So this is the longtime Letterman observer, a quote here, quote, He favors unadorned women, and at the same time women who are at the reach of his demonically low self-esteem. Wow, that's a descriptor. The 2010 Vanity Fair article called Big Trouble at 1135 calls Regina Lasco the archetypal Letterman woman, extremely smart, rather plain in appearance, and absolutely silent when it comes to him. This is fascinating. It surprised the world when the couple welcomed a son in November of 03. Dave was 56 at the time and Regina was 43. They named their son Harry Joseph after David's father. And still, they did not marry. At this point, they've been together... A while. Since 86? Yeah. Yeah. So they lived in Westchester, New York. Regina and Harry were rarely seen in public. Some guests, Julia Roberts in particular, would, you know, poke some fun at Dave about not marrying his extremely long-time girlfriend and mother of his child. Dave would respond by being visibly uncomfortable and making sardonic jokes. In 2005, I also never was aware of this, there was a plot to kidnap Harry. Oh, no. That was discovered. The would-be kidnapper was a man who worked as a painter at their Montana ranch. He was planning to demand $5 million in ransom. Fortunately, the plot was foiled before anything happened to their son. The perpetrator was sentenced to 10 years in jail, but he broke out of jail in 2007. No! And was then given an additional decade. He was freed in 2018. Good Lord. How do you break out of jail in 07, anyway? In 2009, Dave and Regina married in, you'll be surprised, a secret ceremony. (laughs) (laughs) Harry was five years old at the time. He was there. Huzzah. When Dave told his viewers about the marriage and how he had, quote, avoided marriage for 23 years. Right. He said, quote, I secretly felt that men who were married admired me. Like, I was the last of the real gunslingers. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) The real gunslingers. Good Lord. Okay. Now we get to the very famous extortion attempt and the resulting public sex scandal. This story really is a... Real ride of it's a complete secret or everyone knows about it. I mean... Extortion plot? Okay, so again, he married in March of 2009, pretty sure. In October 2009, David Letterman found himself embroiled in a messy and embarrassing sex scandal. 
On October 1st, the members of the live studio audience for The Late Show had absolutely no idea what they were about to witness. Neither did millions of people watching at home. Dave had been having an affair with a staffer on the show, Stephanie Burkett, for several years. (gasps) While he's with Regina? Yes, and they have a five-year-old kid. Okay. And recently, he had been the victim of an attempted extortion and blackmail. So it turns out that Stephanie Burkett had a boyfriend. Sure. A guy named Joe Halderman. This guy's a television news writer, director, and producer at CBS News. Like, not a slouch in his own career. He worked on 48 Hours at the time. Uh, he's won eight Emmy Awards for broadcast journalism. Like Smart enough to know better. Smart enough to know better. Anyway, he finds out about the affair, became enraged. Uh, Stephanie said that she was ending the relationship. She did not end the relationship. So Joe sends proof of the affair to Dave and tells him that if he doesn't pay $2 million, he's going to expose it to the world. No, two million bucks? Two million bucks. Dave, instead of forking over the money, decides to get the police involved. And once the arrest was made, he took control of the media story by coming clean on national television. He did not deny having sex with subordinates. He admitted that he had done terrible, terrible things. That's a quote. It seems like we've heard that quote before. It, it, he, yes, he cops to that a lot. Bad, a, bad things. Apparently, he just continues to do bad, bad things. He said, quote, I have had sex with women who work for me on this show. The audience laughed nervously, and Dave went on to say that he called his attorney and then set up a meeting with the blackmailer. The police got involved, and Joe walked right into the sting operation, and blah, blah, blah. The rest is history. Dave tried to infuse some humor into this fairly awkward confession, saying, I know what you're saying. I'll be darned. Dave's had sex. (laughs) He continues, that's what the grand jury said also. Really? You have had sex? Of course, the scandal caused a media storm, and there were jokes and news stories, and everybody was looking to find interns who had salacious accounts of having had an affair with Dave. Jay Leno, old co-worker made a lot of jokes about the situation, including, this is very mean-spirited, you know the best way to get Letterman to ignore you? Marry him. He will not bother you. He won't look you in the eye. Oh, Regina. Joe Halderman was sentenced to six months at Rikers Island Prison. While serving his sentence, this is so weird, he was nominated as a producer (laughs) of a 48-hour segment regarding Amanda Knox for an Emmy. Wow. After the extortion plot became public, Revenge of Merrill, Merrill Marco weighed in on the scandal by writing on her blog, Oh, goody. As you can imagine, this is a very emotional moment for me because Dave promised me many times that I was the only woman he would ever cheat on. (laughs) She continues, We were together for 10 years, though I know that it's a vague definition of the word together since he was apparently with Regina for the last two of those years and... To my knowledge, none of us were involved in a polygamous cult. When a journalist would later ask Merrill how Dave had managed to keep his affair with Regina a secret, this is very interesting. She says, Dave has several homes. He has a television show in production and many meetings to attend, some of which require travel. Add to that the fact that he actually has numbers of clinically diagnosed crazy people stalking him And you've got the makings of a package full of enough wool to make mittens, sweaters, scarves, and matching blindfolds for as many people as you have on your gift-giving list. Fair point. 
She continues, to make things more convenient, during the last few years of our relationship, I was spending time in L.A. trying to start projects of my own and was naive enough not to be especially paranoid because not only did he and I continue to work together, but I, like Tiger Woods' wife, was under the impression that my flawless <laughs> Scandinavian supermodel good looks were enough to keep a man at home. Oh. She's so good. Many years later, in 2019, Dave opened up about that whole chapter in his life. Reflecting on his relationships with women, he said, I never had anyone in my life sit down and talk to me, not in school, not at home, not in church, about how a man of age behaves with a woman of age. It just didn't happen. You picked it up from your buddies. He told the interviewer that he's determined that his son, who was at the time 16, has a stronger character and treats women better than he did. Well, that's a little bit of evolution right there. Yeah, saying, my son knows about this period of my life. We have conversations about girls and about his mother and how we treat her. I don't think he will make these mistakes, and I'm sorry I did. I feel a little bit better about this story. Yes, there is evolution. There is growth. David Letterman may have decided to grow up. Let's see, though. We're going to check on him kind of to, to today. In 2013, Dave sat down with none other than Oprah Winfrey and revealed that he had been seeing a psychiatrist once a week to try to become a better person. He said, I want to be a good person. For a long time, I thought I was a good person, and yet I was capable of behavior that is not consistent with that. My life is fun and full of joy now. I only pretended that before. Isn't that really the sum of it? We all want to be good people, but mm -hmm. wow, the thing that keeps us all in common is that our lives are so messy. Yes. Everything is messy. Yeah, so Oprah, of course, asked him about the affair and the extortion scandal and all of that stuff. And he says he's always very open about like accepting blame for like his own bad behavior. Anyway, he says, I have no one to blame but myself. I hurt a lot of people. I have nobody to blame but myself. I'm not looking to blame anybody. I'm looking to find out why I behaved the way I behaved. And the light bulb goes on. Boom. On May 20th, 2015, David Letterman hosted his final episode of The Late Show with David Letterman. In his career, he had hosted 6,080 episodes. Wow. Over 33 years. He is, of course, the longest running late night broadcaster in American history. And this, of course, was the end of an era. In his career as a late-night host, Dave became one of the most nominated people in Emmy Award history. He was nominated 52 times. Whoa! Yep. He's won 10 of them, as well as two Peabody Awards, and of course was a Kennedy Center honoree. In 2018, Dave returned to television with his Netflix series, My Next Guest Needs No Introduction. He sat down and talked with incredibly notable people, including Barack Obama, George Clooney, Howard Stern, Kanye West, and Julia Louis-Dreyfus. He's also a frequent guest on a variety of podcast interview shows. He's been very honest about his mistakes and his regrets. He's always said that the best thing about ending his show was that he got to spend more time with his son. When Harry was 16, he told the Today Show's Willie Geist, People always say, well, you're not going to be the kid's best friend. You're going to be his... And I say, screw that. Look at me. How much longer am I going to be around? I want to be the best friend. Then he laughed and said, he's not keen on me being his best friend. 
That's beautiful. He followed up with, at my age, and this is no breakthrough or revelation, but the most secure I ever feel is when I'm around my son. Well, this story has really come whole circle. Sure. Little little last heartwarming tidbit here from the life of David Letterman. In 2022, he talked to Jimmy Kimmel about becoming an empty nester. He said, Harry is my son and all reports indicate that he's okay. They tell me he's in college. I thought it would be nothing, but it's devastating. Am I the only one that feels that way? And then he brought it back around to a joke saying, I called him a week into it. Hi, Harry. Harry, have you met the kid who sells you weed? (laughs) And Harry says, I cannot confirm or deny that, Dad. (laughs) Really relatable. We have a lot of folks whose kids are heading off to college this year or going back. Yup, yup, yup. It's a thing. It's a tough time for a parent. Stacy. really well done. Thanks. I didn't know that story was going to end like that. Sure. I didn't know very much about that story, but I feel like we have really taken the journey of Dave Letterman together. There was much I had forgotten or just didn't know quite enough about in real time. That is a top 10 list of Mm. really a trashy redemption arc. How many trash cans for Dave Letterman? It's going to have to be 10. It's going to have to be a top 10, but I guess the second trash can is going to be the funniest looking of them all. A hundred percent. I don't know if anybody else has noticed that. It's just something I noticed through the years. Yeah, it's not something I had noticed, but I'll take your word for it. Thanks, Trash Pandas, for tuning in today to that ride of a Trashy Divorces story. Again, well done and well done on y'all. We really do appreciate you spending your time with us. If you were looking for a little bit more Trashy Divorces in your life, you can always check us out at patreon.com slash trashy divorces. Also, if you were into Trashy Royals this week over on our side podcast that drops on Thursday, Trashy Royals, we are launching into the Trashy Victorians. If you have not checked out that royal ride of naughty nobles, if you're looking for something for your Thursday podcast listening, may we recommend Trashy Royals. Again, thanks for spending your time with us, for telling your friends for your kind ratings and reviews, for your awesome emails, for your support on Patreon. We think you're simply the best. We'll be back this weekend with a brand new trashy ride. And until we meet again, darlings. Don't give in to extortionists. (laughs) I think that's the lesson here. Also, keep your hands clean. Keep those hearts trashy. Big love, everybody. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us. Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram. And definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. 
I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there, and thanks again, everybody, for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.